So Money episode 210, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. everyone. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, reporting to you from vacation. Well, not really. I actually recorded this on Wednesday before Sunday. But if you're listening to this now, I am on vacation. I am with the family out on Long Island, hopefully not looking at my phone. (laughs) That's hard. I've promised my husband that I wouldn't bring work to the beach. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I, I have my fingers crossed, although I have to still record for an Ask Farnoosh for the following weekend, which is not going to happen on its own. So the good news is, is that I will no longer be doing a weekend episode soon. I made this announcement yesterday on the podcast that starting later in September, after I've crossed that 1 million download threshold, I'm going to take this podcast from seven days a week to five days a week, Monday through Friday. So Monday through Thursday, we'll do the guest interviews. And then Friday, I will dedicate the day to answering your questions. So don't worry, I'll still be answering your questions, still be collecting your questions on Ask Farnoosh, but just will not be doing anything on the weekend. So I hope that doesn't disappoint Many of you, I did hear from a lot of you saying you totally encourage this, that you're happy for me to do it because you know that it will make me a happier, saner person. And truth be told, I'm a workaholic. Uh, In case you didn't notice, a seven day a week podcast is not easy. And on top of that, I've got all this other stuff going on, which I'm really excited about. I think it'll shore up some time and energy and focus for me to really be doing bigger and better, in fact. And on that note, let's head over to our So Money questions for this week. We're going to start with our friend Tom. Tom says, I have a credit card through my bank for years that offers cash back. I pay the full balance each month. I'm considering getting a rewards card, but I'm not sure how to balance an airline card versus one from a bank that offers miles on any airline. How can I evaluate the best deal for me? So much conflicting information online. Tom, have you gone to nerdwallet.com? Shameless plug. I am a correspondent for NerdWallet. It is two things, that site. One is a go-to site for all things personal finance, really educates readers about all things money from student loans to healthcare to saving, investing, shopping tips. But the other aspect of NerdWallet is that it is a credit card comparison tool. I think it is the best on the market. I really do. And not just because I work for them, but because as a consumer, as a consumer, I think it really does a fantastic job. As far as weighing the benefits of a a solely airline card versus one from a bank that offers miles on any airline, it's really about your behavior. Are Are you flying mainly on one carrier or are you spreading the love and going on Virgin and JetBlue and Delta and American and so on and so forth? So if you're uh, a diverse flyer and you like to go on several airlines, perhaps a card from a bank that gives you rewards across all airlines is better than just one that's going to maximize your rewards on one airline. Just my two cents, but check out nerdwallet.com too. Eduardo says, hey, love you. I live in St. George, Utah. 
I have a $10,000 car loan to pay off. Would I be better off living in my car to save money? Family and friends are out of the question. That way, instead of spending a certain amount of money on the car payment, that payment could go into a sort of savings. I don't cook, so I don't need a kitchen. There's a locker and a shower at the gym I can use, and I can go to a laundromat to wash my clothes. What do you think? Or do you have a better option? What? Okay, really, you're going to live in your car? Hey, that's not for me, but if you can do it, who am I to say don't do it? (laughs) Um, I would just be concerned about your security, someone breaking into your car and stealing all your possessions, and then what do you have? You have nothing. At least if you have a house or an apartment, there's a little bit more security. And then the other thing is that it's summertime now, but how long are you planning on living in this car? Through the winter? I'm worried about your safety and security and your warmth. Forget money. I'm just, I want to make sure that you're, you're in a good place. I would first try to see if you could crash with a friend or relative. $10,000 car loan, man, can you maybe try to sell some things to shore up some cash to pay it on that loan? And then you have maybe just a $6,000 car loan or a $7,000 car loan. Maybe instead of living in your car, you can use your car to make some extra money on the side on the weekends, running errands for people, helping people move. You can find tasks on sites like taskrabbit.com, Craigslist, places like that. So I would live in the car as a last resort, but that's me. I like to be comfortable. I like to be safe. I like to be warm. And so I would rather crash on a friend's couch or work more hours during the week to bring in more cash to pay down that loan more aggressively. If you do end up doing this, I want to know. I want to know how it goes. Maybe you should live blog it or live periscope it. That would be so money. Fifi says, hey, Farnish, I love the podcast. It's really helping me. I've been stressing about money a lot lately. I have an engineering job that pays well, but I also have $75,000 in student loans. It's expensive in LA to live. How do I cut costs and hopefully knock the loan out in five years and still, you know, live? Well, again, Fifi, like what I told Eduardo, maybe it's about bringing in more money somehow, some way. And doing what you like to do, monetizing a skill that you're maybe not using at your nine to five, perhaps you know a second language, you're really good at math, you're really organized, you really are good at copywriting, you're really good at editing, you're good at graphic design, whatever you're good at, go online, try to find someone who will pay you for that skill or for that service or for your time. And I mentioned TaskRabbit, but there are so many other sites that can connect you to jobs, care.com, tutor.com. Uh, odesk.com, Craigslist, you know, you can sell stuff on eBay. I just had some guests on the show that are selling their stuff, whether it's on Craigslist, uh, um, Hannah, we met that episode. She's selling her clothing and jewelry and accessories on Poshmark, making six figures. My goodness. So as I did in my twenties, when I had student loan debt and credit card debt, I made more money because I lived in New York, you live in LA, we know things are expensive and that's not going to change. No matter how much we save, we will almost always feel we're just right behind the financial eight ball. So get ahead of that eight ball and make more money. Do something on the side that brings in an extra 50 bucks, 75 bucks a week and pay that down. And when you're paying off those student loans more aggressively and you have an extra payment or extra payment or two, put it towards the principal, not principal plus interest. 
just put it towards the principal, it'll knock down that balance a lot faster and you'll pay less interest over the life of that loan. Chris says, hey, Farnoosh, thanks for answering my question about emergency funds a few weeks ago. Yeah, sure, no problem. Just want to put a request in for someone you may want to interview, Kimberly Palmer, the senior money editor at U.S. News & World Report. She's written several books, including one I just finished reading called Generation Earn. I think she would be someone that would be awesome for you to interview on your podcast. Chris, oh my gosh, I love Kimberly. She's a friend. Why the heck did I not think of this on my own? I feel like a loser. Kimberly, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I should have reached out to you before the show even launched and had you as one of my inaugural guests because Kimberly Palmer is a must follow. Everyone, if you're not following Kimberly Palmer on Twitter at US News and World Report, if you're not reading her books, do it. I love her to death. So I'm going to email her this week and get her on the show as soon as possible. Thanks, Chris. We have a question here from Ivy. She says, hey, Farnoosh, I made a lot of unwise decisions in my 20s. Now that I'm 32, just started saving for retirement, I put 20% in a traditional 401k and 5% in my Roth 401k. I also have a $30,000 personal loan for buying an income-restricted co-op in New York City, which doesn't accept a mortgage. I have six months of an emergency fund saved, and after paying taxes and bills and debt, I don't have anything left. Should I lower my retirement contribution to repay my debt sooner? Well, I'd say it's definitely important that you're playing catch up now in your 30s. If you did make mistakes in your 20s and you didn't save as much, then now is the time to really step it up. 20% in your 401k and then 5% Roth 401k, you're spending a quarter of your income towards retirement, which is really, really, really great. I think if you've got a $30,000 personal loan, which probably carries, because it's a personal loan, I'm guessing it's probably not a low interest rate, maybe it's six, seven, eight percent that, okay, maybe you can scale back the retirement to 20% of your take-home pay. So maybe you do 15% in the traditional 401k instead of 20. Take that 5% and put it towards the loan and knock down that debt, get rid of that ugly interest sooner than later. And then once that $30,000 loan is gone or diminishing, kick it up a notch again with your retirement. But I think you have a little bit of cushion here where you could reduce that 401k contribution, put more towards the personal loan. Then once the loan's gone, go back to putting more towards the 401k. All right, good job though, Ivy. I think you're doing a really great job. And she says, um, love your podcast. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Olivia writes in, she says, hey, Farnish, I'm a 25-year-old copywriter and New Yorker whose 27-year-old boyfriend is a musician. We've been together for a handful of years and our relationship is great. However, he lives a very different life than me financially. His parents are the sole supporters of his life financially. And it's very frustrating to me, a hardworking full-time employee making a low hourly rate with taxes, the same monthly bills and a high monthly student loan that he does not have. So do you have any advice on how to better deal with my obvious disagreement of his ways? Yikes, Olivia. I mean, your boyfriend is basically living off the bank of mom and dad. That's not sexy. I would just tell him, this is really unattractive. I mean, it's kind of harsh, but at some point he needs a wake up call. And if you guys are really serious about each other and he loves you and you love him, there should be that allowance to be honest with each other. You don't want to hurt his feelings, but you might want to say, look, you know, it's really important to me that if we're going to really 
be committed, and build a financial life together, that we do it together independent of our parents. And I worry that being dependent on your parents right now at 27, it's too comfortable, it's too easy, and it's important to know what it's like to struggle. You know, it's important to know what it's like to be accountable to yourself and to make your own money. It's not just good character building, but it's a good life lesson. You know, your parents aren't going to always be able to support you and just tell them, you know, I really want to, I want us to get cut off from the parents. And by us, I mean you. I think it's time. I think you're an adult and I want this for us. I think that it might be difficult and it's going to be hard to do that, but it's going to be really rewarding in the long run. And I want to help us. You know, I just think you got to be honest with them. Be like, this is not working out for me, this aspect of your life. And I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's in the long run a good idea. And I want us to be a team. And I feel like you taking money for your parents makes it really hard to connect with you from a financial standpoint. I don't know. And I think money is really important in every relationship. And I really want to get this right with you. So that's what I would say, Olivia. And, um, and I really commend you for asking this question because it's a really smart question. It shows that you're really forward thinking, that you know what's right. And I agree, this is a problem. <laughs> Money, as they say, is often a huge source of contention in a relationship. But the important thing is that you identify what the source of the problem is. You want to talk about it as painful as it may be. You got to get the you got to get the words out. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to the relationship. Last but not least, we have a question from Maggie and she says, hey, Farnoosh, credit card question. I have a $10,000 limit on my visa limit. If I spend $9,000 on the card and pay it off at the end of the month, will it negatively impact my credit score? I heard a rule of thumb is to only use 20% of your credit limit. Love your podcast. It's made me more financially savvy. Thank you. Well, thank you, Maggie. This is a really, really good question. In fact, I was just interviewing a an expert over at FICO the other day for an article, FICO being the largest issue of credit scores. And he was, and I were having this exact conversation because the reality is, is that the people in this country with the highest credit scores are only using anywhere from like six to 8% of their credit limit at any, at any given time. It's important to pay your balance off in full every month. That's gonna go a very long way in helping your credit score. That said, your credit score is really just a snapshot of your credit activity at any given point during the month. So depending on when your credit score is captured, it may not be a good thing to be spending $9,000 off of a $10,000 limit because at that point in time, it'll look like you are 90% utilized, which is a potential ding on your score because you wanna have that low utilization, right? So I would say that, If you're going to spend $9,000 on the card, you want to do one of two things if you're worried about your credit score. One, pay it off ASAP. Like, Don't wait till the end of the month. Try to pay it off in increments. Maybe you pay $2,000 to every couple of weeks or every week until the balance is due and then pay it off so that you're not just waiting to pay it off. You sort of do it slowly but surely over the course of the month. Or if you know you're going to be spending $9,000 Uh, call Visa and say, hey, would you mind raising my credit limit to say 15,000, 18,000? And not because say, you know, not because I want to go and rack up some debt, but I anticipate spending a lot on furniture or whatever I'm moving. 
And I know that your utilization is an important variable in calculating your score. I don't want to hurt my score. So I'd appreciate if you would raise my limit. And they may do a credit check at that point just to make sure you're good for it. And that, of course, is an inquiry. It's a hard inquiry. But I think in the long run, it's going to do less damage to your score than, say, racking up uh, a 90% utilization rate. But this is all for nothing if you don't care to like take out a loan in the next three to six months. You know, I think that if you're carrying a $9,000 balance month after month after month, then we got a problem. But if it's just a one-time thing and you're going to pay it off in full and then the next month you're going to go back to, say, utilizing 10%, 15%, you're fine. And your credit score is going to bounce back. And unless you're in the market for a loan tomorrow or in three weeks or in three months, this isn't really going to matter for you. So I would just say if you're concerned about your score because you want to go out in the marketplace and maybe get credit and you know you have to spend a lot of money on this credit card in the near future – Either try to pay it off incrementally throughout the month, so don't wait till the end of the month, or ask your credit card company to raise your limit. Make sense? All right, Maggie, thanks so much for your question. Thank you also to Olivia and Ivy and Chris and Fifi and Eduardo and Tom. Eduardo, do not live in your car, actually. I've thought about it some more since I answered your question. Try to do a million other things before having to live in your car, okay? Um But if you do, still, I want to hear about it. Sounds like it could be quite the episode on So Money. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Tomorrow, we got a fresh episode. This week kicks off our Millionaire Next Door week. Very excited to unleash all of our interviews with our American Millionaires Next Door. You don't want to miss this week. It's going to be epic. Thanks so much. Hope your Sunday is so money. So Money. 